Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow. My name is Jason Duff, the IBM Oil and Gas Industry Lead based in Houston. Today I have a co-host with me, Robin McMillan. Hello, Robin. Hello, Jason. How's things? Good, good. What's happening? 2024, what have you been hit with the first couple of months? What's going on? Well, as you know, what we're doing is talking to drillers, mainly. Yep. Operators or the drilling departments within operators and talking about, okay, how do we enhance their digital transformation? In fact, as we've said in the past, they've done a lot of gathering of digital data over the last few years not necessarily now using it for digital transformation. So how do we help them achieve that? How do they take the data they've been piling up in the corner and say, right, you know, how do we make it, for example, how do we apply artificial intelligence and machine learning, not just to the machines, but to actually the process of drilling? So, you know, can you get an algorithm to look at the process of drilling and say, I can see what's happening and I can also predict what is about to happen based on the history that I've used for my training. Nice. And that is getting some real attention Some good right attraction. Now. You know, the other thing, I mean, you and I were just talking before we came on here, the big things you and I have been touching on, just sharing it with the audience as well, I mean, everything's digital that we touched just now, right? I mean, and I think it comes back to, there's a reality that the tools are there now. It's not on the PowerPoint, and we can actually do it with the Gen AI. There's a whole bunch of tools out there with Watch Next and a whole bunch of stuff that other people have got that people are now collaborating coming together and actually delivering use cases not just powerpoint so i think digital for me is a huge driver and seems to be i will continue this acquisition trail robin whether it's divestments or acquisitions that still seems a huge area that people want to buy it's midstream it's larger that's a huge driver for all of us as well what about the what's that going to mean to the people what's that mean going to mean to technology standards the transformation of the business still continuing as well. People looking at different companies. How did people buying utility businesses moving, you know, to transform the business, you know, hydrogen, et cetera, coming in as well, tracking carbon. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Look at the conversation last week with Andres and Hauser and Worley, et cetera, that we announced on LinkedIn and partnering. And then the last one is you rightly said, it was you that mentioned this earlier this week about the open connectivity. How many people are asking right to data to be connected to each other. I mean, that's the big thing for you as well, even on the drilling, right, Robin? Well, it's a real issue. If you think, you take an offshore example, you've got three or four service companies all providing data. So therefore, there's a need, particularly from an operator's point of view, for that data to be interconnected to make it useful. So now all parties there looking at each other saying, okay, well, if I'm connecting with you, how secure are we as a team? And then you get situations whereby a lot of the advisory work will be coming from will come remotely. So you're offshore, but there's drilling engineers sitting in an office in Houston or New Orleans who's advising the rig. And to achieve that, you've got to have really good connectivity. And there's a certain perception that more connectivity is perceived as greater risk. And that's for all parties involved. So it's a bigger and bigger issue. The more connectivity we have, the more remote control we have, the more we need to be careful about cybersecurity. So 
great link. Look at that. It's almost like we're professionals who've done this before, Robin. Amazing. How did that happen? How did that happen? So, Robin, I'm going to introduce two people, security and IBM, because usually we're talking about data. We always talk about drilling. We're always talking about the business these days and energy workforce. I think the bit that you're mentioning, Robin, in those four areas we talked about, I think it's security I want to talk about today, Robin, and putting a security wrapper and the idea is what we focused on, what's the industry focused on, and how what the energy workforce of tomorrow then, what's the impact of the people. So welcome, Tom Prozowski and Samir Karani. Hello, both of you, gentlemen. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Hi. Do you want to introduce yourselves, Tom? Please. Yes, Jason. Tom Prozkowski, oil and gas cybersecurity partner with IBM. Been in the overall cybersecurity business for about 24 years now. You're only 35 as well. Look at that. Got started early. (laughs) (laughs) And Houston based. Houston based. Yes, out of Houston. Been in Texas now for about 20 years. So it was supposed to be a short stay, but it seems like it's now permanent. (laughs) And oil and gas focused, Tom, as well, right? right. Part of the oil and gas team, security and IBM. Cool. And Samir, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Samir Kurane. I'm also Houstonian and go Astros. I'm part of a cybersecurity services team in IBM. I'm leading OT subject matter expert and functionally I support incidents response, red teaming services like vulnerability management, penetration testing, threat intelligence for OT. Nice one. Listen, let's kick off. Hopefully that what Robert and I were talking about up front, Tom, made sense to you. How do you write the state of the nation from a security perspective, given that Robin's, you know, on the SPE board and the drilling, et cetera, and comes from the industry? How would you take that and give a, you know, state of the nation from a security standpoint? Sure. Well, all of this new technology, AI, you know, cloud, all these advanced forms of telecommunications, it's all very exciting, right? And it's all going to be very transformative for the industry. But I think what we got to, the industry kind of has to manage in terms of cybersecurity to not lose sight or, you know, the eye on the ball related to some fundamental stuff that creates the foundation for all this greatness to be consumed, right? We talk about AI and the cybersecurity implications there, right? But what's being left or what's being done back home in corporate that leverages all this goodness to build a complete resiliency picture versus, well, we're going to put a lot of security in this new stuff, but, you know, all that stuff back home, (laughs) uh, you know, between audit, between risk, between business, you know, all of this stuff, you know, the traditional back and forth that goes on. In the meantime, you have all of this risk still present back home and the older maybe legacy technology, let's say. So, you know, My biggest advice would be, you know, take care of all of it, right? It's not just the latest and greatest, the pretty stuff, but also address the risks and the resiliency issues back home. And Tom, just to be clear then with the audience and ourselves as well, you don't have a package of here's an IBM solution to this. You're consulting, right? So you will work with IBM software if you want. But there's a whole, you work with, a, you're autonomous, right? You can work with whoever you want. Yes, to that's with. the famous word in a consulting or services, professional services organization is we're agnostic on the technology and on the product and the software. That's exactly right, Jason. We are services only. We like to, out of the triangle, people, process, and technology, really focus on the people and the processes and certainly help the client 
acquire, you know, look at technology, invest in technology, but we're not there to sell any technology or anything like that at all. We're not curate our folks. We're not verify. We're just purely <laughs> services. I think sometimes you are asked that initially. I've seen that, but that's, yeah, that's a good point. And what, how many changes, before we go to Samir and talk some detail at some of the points, how much change have you seen in security? I mean, from my perspective, I mean, you and I bumped into each other two years ago. It was you saying, hey, dude, if you're going to do all this digital stuff, we need to be really talking about security. And security up front, a lot of us was really security around IT systems originally. If you look at IBM and where we have been, it's hey, can you log on to your SAP system? Let's be brutally honest, or Maximo. And have you got a look, are you on the yellow network or the red network or the blue network? And here's the things you can't do on your iPhone, et cetera. But I mean, dude, it's just become crazy now, right? I mean, there must be such a change in the security side of things that you've seen from the last five, six years in terms of what's on offer and what the companies have had to do. Yeah, you know, as much as change, I think there are the fundamentals, right? That almost never changed. What good looks like is what all good looks like. It's the technology that changes. It's the advancements that we make there and the application of what good looks like into those areas. Now, to your point, you know, it's not just about, well, we need to lock down SAP security, but if we look at, for example, and examine the attack lifecycle, SAP may not be the actual target, right? They want to move laterally and maybe they want to move into the customers, into your joint ventures. So as we become much more connected from a cybersecurity perspective, it's where are the risks and where are the boundaries of who has responsibility for the security controls, for the security posture. As I think, you know, we talked about earlier, it's you know, well, do our partners provide this security or do we have the responsibility? I think what would be tremendous beyond the technical advancements is if the industry came together to establish what good looks like and how they're going to work with each other. Because we all face the same problems. We face the same adversaries and the risk. It'd be nice if we established those foundational things that we can hold ourselves accountable to because we've all seen we work much better if we do it ourselves versus a regulatory agency, a government agency coming down and telling us what to do from a security perspective. And I guess you've seen a massive step change, both you and Samir. Robin and I were asking this morning, and I guess from us, we see it spoken about, but you guys must have seen a huge step change since May 21 when Colonial Pipeline sort of, I think it was then. I guess that must have been a huge sort of shock to the CISOs, et cetera, and everyone stepped up. I mean, for us, we hear a lot more about it and we sense it, but for you guys, you must be living that. Is that real or do people still sort of quake in their boots thinking, shit, who are we next? Yeah, Samir, I'll defer that to you. You live in... (laughs) 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 No, rightly, thank you. Yes, that is true. I mean, the pipeline attack on Colonial Pipeline basically really opened up uh, doors and conversations for cyber crisis management and cyber crisis discussions, right? We were really hovering over that topic quite a long time with the C-suite executives, but then after the attack, all of the companies were very sensitive about how to deal with the ransomware, not just from the technological aspects, but how to really get it done from the senior management. What kind of decisions do we need to make? And how do we prepare for ransomware attacks in our technical 
but also on the managerial or functional levels. A lot of uptake in when we were providing the incidence response proactive services, we had a lot of surge in we want to have the tabletop exercises, simulation exercises on ransomware. We want functional exercises on ransomware. Cyber Range was really busy where we host a lot of C-level executives providing the ransomware scenario experiences. So yes, there has been a lot of uptake in that. We have seen regulations coming out of as part of, as an after effect, TSA mandates, executive orders, and that has made companies do stuff, what Tom was referring to, regulations. Is it because the guys just thought, nah, they won't come after us? Was that the feeling or is it just the skills, Samir, pre-colonial? That, yeah, you know, we'll just work with what we've got. Or wasn't there enough budget? What was the, or was it a lot of those things? I'm trying to get to the point of what was stopping them pre, we all know people were always, you know, there was always going to be at some point, it wasn't like Colonial, Colonial was the big one and it shocked everyone. But even up to them, we knew the Russians, the Chinese, you know, they were always hitting it. You know, was it lack of budget? Was it just lack of skills? Was it ignorance? Any sense or any view? Just from our point of view. I think we need to make a little difference, right? So the threat actors and the threat landscape has evolved, right? This all started with, oh, you know, nation state and they're out to do some terrible things to our infrastructure. But now it's evolved to where it's just so easy to conduct these things and you can buy kits and you don't even have to be a sophisticated coder or hacker. You can just buy stuff and cause problems. But I think going back to your point, now with the ransomware and all of this and even the more advanced attacks, I think you're right, Jason. Like, you know, five, 10 years ago, you know, ah, it would never happen to us, right? And my favorite is, oh, we got backups. You know, we're fine, right? But I think it was a little bit of, <laughs> I think it was always an issue inside of security and in IT, right? But what's funny is like less sophisticated attacks around ransomware are now causing leaders and business leaders and executives to start paying attention because ransomware impacts availability, right? And the ability to conduct business and conduct business to make money, which is what we're all in this for anyway, right? So now the less sophisticated piece is really making the more sophisticated parts of our clients pay attention And that's changing and that's changing in a good way in that there's a lot of continuing growth and support from the business leadership to help IT and security with their budgets and to try to combat this adversary. Cool. Hey, Robin, you had a question. Sorry, I probably butted in before. Sorry, dude. Yeah, no bother. No, I was thinking that when regulators do come along and say, okay, you know, are you guys up to scratch with the cybersecurity? How are we with standards? Have we got ISO standards and certification so that people can say i'm good i've been audited and i can prove that my systems are tight how good are we at that at having systems that so a couple of views right so there are as tom mentioned also there are a lot of guidelines and those guidelines are for the right reasons iso 27000 standards for information security are the foundation for everything that happens in the security, right? We have for industrial control system security, connected vehicle security, autonomous vehicles are getting into everything, right? But all of these are fundamentally rooted to 27,000. 62443 is fundamentally rooted there. 
we have standards those are not easy to digest easy to grasp easy to implement there are a lot of security controls and the systems like what we have industrial control systems as complex as they are they have to fundamentally change the way the product is to make sure it is secure by design those things were not there in the past now those are the things that are needed for every bit of thing that we do now and a lot of security requirements have been around for last 15 20 years however nobody was taking it as seriously as they are taking it now supply chain security the software bill of material all of those topics have been around for ages but those are really getting into a lot of prominence and limelight and being addressed at a fundamentally at a secure by design level that's interesting what you asked robin cuz everybody wants to have a reference or a framework or something to you know it's a north star but i just My biggest comment and feedback to the world is you don't want to build a class leading cybersecurity program through a compliance program. What you don't want to do is take these recommended controls and say that's your security program. Out of a good functioning cybersecurity program, you will get good compliance. You have good compliance, you really don't have a well functioning, well-rounded, mature cybersecurity program. So, I know that's a little bit play on words, but I think our industry sometimes it gets a little bit too caught up on meeting regulatory requirements, putting checks in the boxes versus really focusing on what is their current state, where are my gaps and how do I resolve this? I mean, if people take a real earnest an honest effort into that compliance is just a natural result of it and one of the things to me are just going on from that then surely is the proactive i know we do this threat intelligence i keep tom comes on to the calls with our accounts and continues talks about threat intelligence and my understanding of that from a non security is guys this is what's about to happen which i love it and actually i think if i understand tom and samir you'll correct me here is we're looking at automated I think proactive threat intelligence where we'll be able to push out and show the people do that it's coming. I think that's where we're going, right? Samir or Tom, which is would be a real change of guys. We can have a look, we're looking at AI and this is where you're going to get hit, so this is where you put your resources. Am I right there or correct me someone on that one? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll just get started and Samir chime in here, but with the advancements in the compute power, right? And the algorithms and the mathematics I mean we can take all of the traditional sources of data of intelligence and able to consume this stuff in a matter of minutes and hours versus weeks and days to help try to predict with certain level of accuracy how something may happen and I think it's a game changer Robin you talked about operationally with drilling using AI to try to predict data or try to predict where the you know i guess the drilling will be fruitful for the organization and you know so we're using those kind of capabilities now in cybersecurities try to i mean we got all this amazing technology why not leverage it to get it faster and better that is true so there are two aspects of the threat intelligence right sorry to cut you but there is the way based on the data that we are ingesting so there is a massive amount of data that as ibm taking an example and any of the companies that are really doing the managed security services 
they have wealth of data to look at basically what exactly are the patterns of the attacks that we are looking at we respond to the incidents we understand the patterns of the attacks how threat actors are behaving what are the natural object uh, objects or natural targets they are going to look at because if you think of it from attackers perspective it's a project for them they have a fixed timeline budget everything whatever they need to achieve right if you take that perspective you want to always go for the targets that are easy for you and that's basically gives us the good database of things that we need to start looking into and update and from that perspective we can also have that information fed into our systems to identify what kind of vulnerabilities do we have in the system what kind of exploits that are out there being used and updated and modified to be able to replicate this success across different platforms different technologies as well so as we can mash that information together we will identify much better sense of yes these are the exploit these are the vulnerabilities being attacked wildly in the threat actor groups this is where we need to start prioritizing our protections in the environments and how to because security is never going to be your money making it's always a lagger right you are not there to make security as a money maker <laughs> it's something else so you cannot burn yourself out securing yourself as well so it's always a simple case of how do you prioritize what is your return on investment all of that business cases that we have to really put up the data analysis will help to get the decisions faster by the business where the money has to meet the projects that we need in the cybersecurity business so that sounds like it's predictive security so we're talking about the ai it's proactive if not predictive right okay yeah, yeah. we'll see how the industry reacts to that right because you know when you tell yeah. somebody you can predict the future you know there's a couple of people that will at least roll their eyes in the back of their head and kind of smirk mm-hmm. right but i think you know as this year progresses with IBM in particular this new capability is i mean i just don't i don't see how it's not a game changer i'll just say quickly like in the military if you have intelligence that your enemy's going to attack you at this point at this date and time but that data could be old right i mean it's great to have it but it could be outdated but what we're saying is as you're conducting the maneuvers you're getting intelligence almost real time that this is a position of the enemy and they're going to conduct these maneuvers to attack you at this point this time but that is now real time right and that's much more effective i mean it's good to have intelligence but if you have make that as real time as possible and as authentic as possible then that's a game changer what else samia then just thinking about what else you see in oil and gas and security what's the other sort of areas that we're sort of focused on just now you mentioned i think security foundation etc can you explain a couple of those things that you're involved in just now that might be interesting to the audience as well yes sure so a couple of things that are really i mentioned about supply chain security and security foundation by i mean secure by design that's catching up quite a lot but overall the digital transformation is really creating the mesh of the networks rather than really traditional way of looking at this segmentations right we have purdue reference architectural model that we talked about 62443 references it all of those standards were based on the technologies and the systems and architectures that were really segmenting ot has to be segmented out from it 
Now the cloud comes in, IoT comes in, edge, far edge devices with the cloud capabilities are coming in. So there is a cloud-like capability that you can drive close to your manufacturing environments, refining environments, oil and gas, wherever that manufacturing and automation is, right? So all of that power and capability as you have it, you are growing the attack surface. It's basically, there are two things I always say in terms of the digital transformation. One is basically you are improving your reliability, you are adding more technology and hardware, you are increasing your attack surface. Digital transformations are doing somewhere similar. Basically, you are automating with the use of digital transformation, having more data lakes and clouds. You are exfiltrating that data out for more and better and robust analysis. All of that, in a way, also is increasing your attack surface because you are adding more equipment. Last statement here, attack surface scanning and controlling that is going to be a big thing. And these standards that have been old and outdated to some extent, they are taking the step in the right direction by providing the necessary guidance for the new age of technologies. So this is where basically the next big thing is going to be, are you really building the plan for the future? Are you securing it based on the right amount of technology, not getting tied up with the old ways of doing things? So I was going to ask Samir, and apologies for interrupting but you would have thought and i guess robin i'm thinking of this that our clients had already would be on top of this so what are we actually delivering is it the complexity of what they're doing or is it the first time they're doing it or is it the skills samir of how on earth do i approach this what do you think or what do you see from your experience that our clients or the oil and gas community don't see that they come to us people like us and say hey i can help is it skills is it what is it because they must have some, All of they must understand this. So why do they come to the outside? Yeah, so a couple of things, right? So skills is definitely a major portion. In general, the cybersecurity market do not have enough skilled personnel. And when it gets to the next level, the industrial control system specific security, it's a niche within cybersecurity. You don't have those kind of animals, <laughs> out there so many uh, and i guess they're they're very different now right it's almost like very very different skills than you used to right it's not like taking someone 10 15 years ago these are very niche new skills that you need that's correct so there is a lot of awareness fortunately about this however learning what that difference is needs a little bit of more of an experience of getting into the field talking to the people understanding how the automation system really looks like because sitting in the ivory offices of IT, you will never understand what that automation <laughs> system really means, right? Once you experience it, you have a completely different perspective and respect about what exactly the complexity is. And then you start appreciating and making those changes and reconsider how your approach and security recommendations are going to be. So that's where the skill gap issue is quite prominent. However, companies have taken the steps but in my opinion, may not be enough in the secure by design. So when we are really talking about large automation projects, is cybersecurity embedded in those engineering phases, much like how you do the PHA or HAZOP? Probably not, right? If you do that, then we see the complete transformation in the right direction. So if otherwise, you are really going to play a catch-up game for cybersecurity. It's like, Robin, what we're saying, proactive versus reactive. (laughs) 
Yeah, it makes me wonder, here we are talking about the workforce of tomorrow, whether or not, you know, you, you said there, I mean, a lot of people, they know what they know because of their experience. How are we doing with training people in cybersecurity so that we can actually have people who come out of a training group, they're ready to go because they've been educated and therefore don't have to spend five or ten years gaining the experience? So two aspects of this, I have done this for a chemical manufacturing company when I was working for chemical manufacturing company, leading the OT security program. And now I have come to the IBM side for last three years. I'm taking efforts to build the manpower as well as not manpower, the personnel or skills to deliver these services to our clients, right? So in the chemical manufacturing company, my experience was everybody who I interacted with understood automation pretty well. There are control system engineers, but they are expert of Emerson or Siemens, but they are not cybersecurity aware. So the issue was really how to tell them what industrial control cybersecurity is. So that's where I had programs. And fortunately, more and more vendors are coming out to train them specifically about what industrial control cybersecurity really means. And those training programs are available for companies to take and apply. The challenge that I see on a global level is all of these companies with the maturity and the ease of implementation, the training material is always available in English, right? However, Uh, go outside the US, people who work in the plant do not speak English well. They are speaking their own mother tongues and they operate in their mother tongues. The written scripts are in mother tongue as well or their national language, right? So that's where English may not be a right medium for us to communicate with them. Now coming to the IBM side, as I said, basically there are so many number of cybersecurity experts. We train our people internally based on the trainings that are available. SANS is a fantastic institute where they have offered some training courses, which are industrial control system specific cybersecurity courses. There are other companies and partners we have with IBM relationship. IBM believes in the collaboration with for security, right? There are so many alliances that we have built for cybersecurity services as well as interactivity. The partners have the cybersecurity program. We train our team members on those. And then the peers who we have from the professional certified engineers who are providing the cybersecurity services based on their past experiences, we use their knowledge and skills and experience to train our other staff members. So it's a collaborative approach to bring them some of the knowledge and skills that people have gained, send them to the trainings, and then basically work on the projects, bring them to the plant sites themselves so they can get the first-hand experience. They are smart cybersecurity personnel. They just need that fine-tuning about how that OT security is a little bit different than IT. And once you have that, you start getting into that zone pretty quick. Samir, tell me, what do you think is going to, the next two to five years, what do we think we'll see in terms of the people? Again, go back to the workforce. What are we going to see from our skills and the client skills around security? I'm assuming we're going to see a lack because what we're saying, everyone's training. Is it really going to be niche skills that we're going to see in in security? Is it going to be outsourced? Is it going to be managed services? Are we going to see more people What's your sense, you and Tom's view? Just give a sense of, you know, if if we've got young ones listening to this and want to go into security, what would your, you know? It's a great time to be in the security first place, right? Flat out, that's basically the area that is really aggressively growing, still continues to grow. For the young generation who is deciding where the career should be, 
and I work with some of the college graduates and they were iffy about where exactly I could go. Should I go to cloud, learn about how to develop an application in cloud? And I may find an interest in cybersecurity. I would flat out just tell them, okay, cybersecurity, if you are really interested in it and you are okay to get some heartburn for period of time, you will do good. It's just basically, it's a hard work, right? A lot of nights and evenings and a lot of extra hours that you need to really burn helping people because of the skill gap, personnel gap, everything that comes to join these forces in cybersecurity. But it's a lot of excitement. There is a lot of reward for that excitement as well. There is a solid skill gap that we have. There is no shortage of basically the opportunities that you will have in cybersecurity business overall. And in specifically on the industrial IoT side of the house, if not just OT, the transformation of OT to completely cloud-connected control systems is still far away. You still need to have that vision and continuous learning mindset to evolve yourself from, I cannot be comfortable saying that I know how the OT is done today and I can live for my retirement. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Everybody has to learn. Yes. It is continuous learning process. You have to upgrade yourself now those are the things if you are ready to commit to. There is no shortage of work for cybersecurity and the young ones should really be motivated to do this because those are high paying jobs as well. And that's maybe one of the things that has changed too, Jason. You asked a question about how things have evolved. From a practitioner's point of view, you know, the traditional go to school, get a computer science degree, you know, work in labs and, you know, more traditional route. I mean, that's certainly how I started, but as I've, you know, fortunately, unfortunately bounced around a lot of different companies in cybersecurity, what's changed is that a lot of the younger generation, they don't have college degrees. They may have some rudimentary, you know, programming or, you know, this or that, but a lot of it, you know, I was shocked to learn like some of these guys are making well into six figures plus as senior analysts or senior this, but they don't have a degree, not even from a community college. So I think, you know, as a lot of young people, is, is college right for me or not? And if I don't go to college, is there, you know, future for me? In cybersecurity, definitely. It's not a mandate. You have to have a college degree. And just to plug one more thing, you know, we get a lot of talent from the military, from the armed forces in this area. And yes, by the time they're done, they may have a degree, but they really learn that and hone the tradecraft in the service. So that is another way of getting into this business without, you know, committing a whole lot of dollars. Sure, it's your service and it's, it's your time. But yeah, I mean, that's another talent pool right there. Is there space there for colleges to step in and say, yes, you can come here and come out with a qualification in cybersecurity? I think a lot of universities are getting into very specific cybersecurity degrees. Before, you had to have a generic, like a computer science or a MIS degree, and then you kind of through work get the experience, but you didn't really get it. There was not a whole lot of, at least when I went through it, classes specific to security, to audit and things like that. It was just straight up, I mean, coding, 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 right? But A&M, UT San Antonio has one of the more highly respected under the radar cybersecurity programs as accredited by the NSA, by the US Air Force Cyber Command. So it's all there. And, you know, I hope someday that IBM security, especially here in the services, we get a little more amped up about undergraduate and college recruiting 
they'll bring the raw skill sets. They just want the experience, right? And they come from a really good background. One quick thought about what Tom mentioned about hiring the undergraduates. Just for whoever is listening from undergraduate programs, we do, right? We do hire undergraduates and for X-Force team, there is a undergraduate program that we honor every year and there are interns that we hire and we have successfully converted them as the full-time employees of IBM and they can really experience with red teaming services and incidents response services firsthand whenever that happens. So we do that is that, yes, I can certainly appreciate some of these schools where there are industrial programs and industrial cybersecurity programs that will really bring the value for the customers that we work with. Hey, Samir, just the last one for me. This IoT Security Foundation, you touched on it, but my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong again, you chair this for Houston. Is that right? Can you just explain what that is so we can at least Absolutely, let the people yeah, know? Or am I going to embarrass you yes. now? Is this embarrassing you? Good. No, yeah, no Good. No. Get it out there. <laughs> let's just explain what it is, and then let's put it out there. If you want people to join, et cetera, then let's see if we can, Robin and I can help you and get some people in there. Perfect. Thank you so much. No, thanks for bringing that up. This is Industrial IoT Security Foundation or IoT Security Foundation Houston chapter. It is affiliated with IoT Security Foundation. That is an organization based in UK. There is a lot of work they put in to develop the IoT security specific accreditation framework. They are doing a lot of work with the UK government for vulnerability disclosure. My personal interest and affiliation with them came from my personal itch for IoT security, right? It's basically what exactly is going on in IoT security. What is Houston doing about IoT? Because this is the huge oil and gas and chemical manufacturing environment. What is happening around industrial IoT? I couldn't find like-minded people. The honest, just a simple idea was how can I get a community started which makes people interesting nice and start talking about IoT security. And that's how it started. It's about six, seven months old. We are based in Houston, of course, and we have done a few webinars. We took a little bit of a stopgap in between to reorganize ourselves for 2024 and planning to bring back the webinars and also the in-person events where we can take the trainings and also the IoT awareness to the community and build this knowledge base and skills that we need on IoT security. And I'm assuming you're looking for speakers and people in the industry as well? Absolutely, always. If you give me the link to that, so that's Industrial IoT Security Foundation, the Houston chapter, right? IoT, if you go on LinkedIn, it will be IoT Security Foundation Houston chapter or iotsfhouston.org. So let's put that in the If you can send that to me, Samir, I'll put that in the links on the notes. And let's get you, there's a couple of people that Robin and I talked about yesterday, Robin, in the tower that definitely we could at least get those guys involved. And I think there's two people that we know that would probably even say, yes, I'd like to be part of it or even talk at one of those events. And there's a couple that would put their people into that as well, Samir. So great. Appreciate it. Last question to you, Tom. Why IBM? Why should people come into IBM for security? There's a hard question for you because there must be hundreds of companies out there. What have we got that the others don't? Well, I think for those considering this or those wanting a change in how they apply their skills in cybersecurity, I mean, IBM, right? IBM's everywhere. And the thousands of clients that we have, you know, no two days, no two clients are going to be the same. You're going to see so many more of the things of interest. Now, obviously, some of it's negative because it's, you know, they're going after and causing havoc to our clients. But you get to see 
and feel more than you ever would as sitting in one company, always looking at just a very single profile of things happening to your organization versus now you're part of the, you know, our XFTM or TDR team or the X-Force and you can, the whole world is at your fingertips to see and witness what's going on. But more importantly, you're able to help some of the more important companies and significant companies around the world fight this fight against some nasty folks. And I guess to the clients, you and I know and always spoken about is when we're in a client, we get embedded, then that's where we're best. We get in, we embed ourselves with the lead account partners and we bring the right security sources. So yeah, that's a bit. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've never seen a place that's more integrated, having different parts of the business all come together for the good of the client. Good, he's almost stroking me there, Robin. (laughs) Any last questions, Robin? No, just to follow up on that last point, and we probably don't have, there's probably not one client where this is not a priority. It's a big issue for everybody we speak to. 100%. You know, it's interesting. Robin and I will go somewhere. I'll tell you guys, honestly, there's a use case out there just now where we'll go and do some user inspection. And it's the middle of nowhere. And someone will say, use Wi-Fi or stick a 5G tower up and we'll just do it. Security's always been two years ago would have been at the back of our minds. Why? Because we'll expect the client to say, well, dude, that's your responsibility. I think something that you said, Samir, of, dude, it's happening so quick and there's things happening that we'd be, was crazy not to sort of, we have to be included and it has to be assessed of, are you really, really sort of on top of this? If they are, then fine. But usually what we're finding now, Tom, as you and I go out, the people are not on top of these things. And that's this digital focus that Robin and I spoke about 40 minutes ago, whether it's digital or acquisitions or transformation or open connectivity, we're finding out that the first question or one of the first questions is, oh, we have to look at security as well. And it's like, dude, that's, it's probably us learning as well, where I think before it's been, well, the clients surely got that sorted. They don't. No, and it's to what you said. I mean, the technology is, you know, there's the Moore's Law. I think the Moore's Law is actually accelerated to now it's maybe half or even faster than that, right? And then the risks are therefore increasing. But then what we talked about the last point, the talent shortage, right? It's So the risk, the technology, the risk is all accelerating very quickly, but we're just ability to generate top talent to, to deal with all that. That's what we're going to be faced with here. Cool. Thank you. So listen, that's a wrap. I think maybe what we can do as a follow-up, I don't know what you guys would like to do, maybe even use maybe threat intelligence. I don't know if we can or not, and use a screen and show some of the guys what we're talking about. Maybe some of the tools we're using, Samir, Tom, I wouldn't mind doing that and showing some of our, you know, maybe taking a deep dive into one or two of the tools and or some of ways or the methods we're using it. Let's think about that as a follow-up in the next three or four weeks. More than happy to maybe cover that one, if that would work. That would be awesome. Yes. Our threat intelligence index report is going to come out. Maybe that's it. So let's do that. Just We just need someone out. with a screen and then we can talk through it. Maybe that's a great way of us with it as a phase two now. We've used it as a you know a 30,000 feet here. How is it going to change? What's it doing? Why security interesting? Where is it going to change? But actually, let's look at it and look at some of the tools that we think or some of the ways it's going to really change. Let's go from there. Cool. So me or Tom... Robin, thank you. That's a wrap. If you guys want to get on the show like Tom and Samir, give us a shout. You can get a hold of these guys on the notes when this comes out on the bottom of the iTunes. And that's it. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.